0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I invite you to open up to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1. Today we're beginning a Christmas sermon series entitled God With Us. The uh, Both the series itself as well as today's message is titled God With Us. And so during this brief sermon series we're going to examine why it's important that we understand that God is in fact with us technology has allowed us to do some things that were once a part of science fiction I remember reading comic books as a kid and I know I'll be showing my age here but thinking that Dick Tracy's wristwatch radio telephone was so amazing I mean, I thought, wouldn't that be cool, I thought, to be able to call somebody from your wristwatch, right? Of course, when I was a kid, uh, cell phones didn't exist. Uh, for that matter, um, even the cordless phones, which some of you young people are like, what's a cordless phone? I, and that's so, you know, the cordless, the kind that you plug the base into the wall, and then you can at least walk around the house. I didn't have one of those until I was in high school or maybe college um, at my house. And so and smartphones, just, you know forget about it you know it was that was just that was old that was pure science fiction um but here i stand before you today with my very own you know dick tracy smart watch right i can i can make phone calls i can send text messages i can listen to music surf the internet well all without ever leaving the comfort of my wrist pretty amazing stuff what was that who's who's dick tracy you know good and well who dick tracy you're showing your age Uh, (laughs) now for those of us who weren't able to travel uh, to see family for Thanksgiving uh, perhaps you like like our family maybe you use technology in a different way maybe you were able to connect to family through FaceTime or Zoom or some similar technology and you were able to virtually meet with family over that special holiday and I and I hope that was somewhat helpful but if you're like me, nothing's better than being present, right? Nothing's better than being present. You know, FaceTime and Zoom they, and other similar technologies, they, they have their place, they're, they're nice, but you can't feel the warmth of an embrace through your smartphone. And you can't smell the aroma of Thanksgiving dinner through the Internet. Those things require our presence. They require our bodily presence. You know, we actually need to be with one another in order to experience those types of joys in our life. And while it might be true that God can do anything that He wants to do, beloved, let us reflect for these few moments on the fact that God chose to be with us in order to save us. God became a man, a human being. He entered into space and time as a human baby. And He grew into a man who ultimately gave Himself so that we could have life. Yes, God was with us. And just as important, listen, yes, God is still with us let's hear from the Word of the Lord. If you're in Matthew uh, Matthew 1, verse 18, say amen. All right. Just eight verses this morning from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me as I read. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word Lord, we believe Your Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we pray now, Lord Jesus, that You would speak to us through Your Word, that Your Spirit would accompany my words, and that You would convict us where conviction is necessary. What, what we are not, You would make us. What we know not, You would teach us. What we have not this morning, give us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a note taker, I like to give a central idea to the message. And here's the central idea. God chose to be with us to do what only God can do for us. God chose to be with us so that he could do so that so that only so that God could do what only he could do for us. I have four points I want to make this morning. And since we're going to be celebrating Christian baptism um, at the end of our worship service um all of the points are going to be a little briefer this morning. I know some of you are saying, yeah, I don't believe you yet until you get there. You've heard me preach too long. Uh, but they are going to be somewhat um, on the abbreviated detail, meaning I'm not going to be able to get into as much detail in the text. But I pray that what we have will be good for us this morning. Point number one is details matter. Details matter. Matthew begins this section of Scripture with these words. He says there in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. You know, we might be tempted just to read right over those words and might be th- tempted to think, well, details don't really matter. We might, we might think, well, what's really important is that Jesus came, not how he came. But Matthew disagrees. And frankly, so do I. Yes, it is important that Jesus came. That's obviously important. We could we could even say that that fact, the fact that he came is self-evidently important because if he didn't come, the, all the other details wouldn't matter, right? And so yes, it's important that he came, but Matthew's telling us that it's also important how he came. And so Matthew tells us that his birth took place in this way. The details of how it happened are important. If those details weren't important, Matthew could have just—he could have simply said, "You know, Jesus was born. Period. Full stop. Next chapter." But he doesn't do that. He tells us again that it happened this way, and here's why that's important for us to understand, beloved. Listen, please. When we read our Bibles, I—and I, and I hope you're reading your Bible on your own—but when we read our Bibles, beloved, every word, even every letter in this book, matters. It all matters, and so let me get, let me give you an example of what I'm what I'm talking about here. In Galatians chapter three, and you don't don't need to turn there because I'm only going to be here briefly, but I'll give you the address so you can you can check this out later if you want. Galatians three verse sixteen, Paul writes he's making a theological argument, and he says there in verse three sixteen of Galatians he says now the promises this is quote now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say and to his offsprings Referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Unquote. Paul's making his entire theological argument based on one letter. Right? The entire theological argument of Galatians three is based on the difference between the singular and the plural. That one letter. But beloved, that one letter is important. Okay, it's important. And so when Matthew tells us that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, he's meaning to tell us that the details that follow are important. Don't let the details of the text escape your notice. And so let's look at some of those details now. That's point number one. Point number two, she was a virgin. She was a virgin. In the second half of verse 18, Matthew tells us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Some of our modern translations, which some of you read from, they tell us that Mary and Joseph were engaged rather than betrothed. But I want you to know that using this language of engagement actually misses the point. And here's why. For for starters, some of those same translations that use the language of engagement in verse 18, then they use the language of divorce in verse 19. And just to put the matter bluntly, if you're only engaged, you don't need to be divorced. Thousands of engagements sadly end broken every year. A divorce is never a necessity after a broken engagement. But, second, the the language of engagement also misses the point of the seriousness of this relationship. In ancient Jewish culture, when a man and a woman were, were betrothed to one another, they were legally bound to one another, just as if they were married. The betrothal period was was a sometimes lengthy period. It could be up to a year long where the man and the woman, they're legally bound to one another, but they don't know one another sexually as a husband and a wife, so they don't consummate the marriage. And so while, while they're betrothed, they would live separately. They wouldn't engage in sexual relations with one another or with anyone else for that matter. And you would need a divorce, a divorce in order to end a betrothal. And so this is why Matthew stresses for us there in the latter half of verse 18, before they came together. And he tells us that before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Later in the passage, we learn that all of this was taking place so that what was spoken of by the prophet might be fulfilled. Now the prophet that Matthew has in mind here is none other than the prophet Isaiah. He had prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, And he promised that the name of that son would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But we're still left answering that question. Why is the virgin birth a necessity? Why why is it important after all? And I want want to answer that in, in two ways why the virgin birth was important. First. The virgin birth was necessary. It was important because the Bible tells us that there was going to be a virgin birth. Now, now you might think that's just kind of circular reasoning Well, the Bible says it, therefore it must be true because the Bible says it. But if the Bible is the very Word of God, and we believe it is, and if God always tells the truth, and we believe He does, then what the Bible says must be true. To say anything less Would be to cast doubt not only on the virgin birth, but on the entire contents of the Bible. In other words, if if we were to, you know, where where do you stop? If we can simply say, "Ah, you know, virgin birth, that's really not that important. Well, let's let's just why don't we just dismiss everything Jesus had to say about himself as well? And if we're we're going to go there, why don't we just go ahead and dismiss the, the resurrection? That's kind of fanciful, don't you think? Let's dismiss the resurrection altogether. And once you go down this road, I want you to understand, I hate to be the one to break this to you, but if we lose the resurrection, then the entire Christian faith comes tumbling down like a house of cards. It's over. And so no, the Bible prophesies that there will be a virgin birth and we believe as a matter of faith and that the virgin birth happened just like it was prophesied to happen. I'll say more about that in a moment when I get to point number three. But second, the second reason the virgin birth is important is that the virgin birth makes the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus possible. You see Jesus was a human being like we are. I know sometimes I talk to people and they say, "Well, you know, well he could do that because he was Jesus." As if as if he wasn't a human being. But he was born like you and I are. He got hungry, he got thirsty as you and I do. He grew tired, he experienced emotions as we do. He was a human being in every underscore that every sense of the word. I know some of you are thinking, well, what about sin? Sin is not innate to our humanness. Okay? We were created before sin. Sin is a fault in our humanness. It's not innate to our humanness. So he was a human being in every sense as we are. But he was also God. He was God in the flesh. He was God with us. Emmanuel. Now, his parents didn't ultimately give him the name Emmanuel, but that's who he is. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And because he was born without Adam's seed, as the Scripture refers to it, that is, he was born without the help, without the aid of a human father, because of that, he didn't inherit Adam's guilt. He was born without the guilt of original sin. And the virgin birth is then what enabled him to be born in such a way that he was able to save us. Now, if you're not tracking with me, let me explain ever so briefly. According to Romans 5, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet, we are all born guilty of sin. Because we have all inherited, every one of us, we've inherited Adam's guilt. And as a result of his guilt, it takes us no time at all in this world before we actually rebel against God and sin by our own actions. It's true of all of us. It's true of me. It's true of you. It's actually true of all of us except one of us. It wasn't true of Jesus. Jesus had no original guilt. He committed no sins of His own. So when Jesus died on that cross, He wasn't dying for anything that He had done. He was perfect. He was sinless. He wasn't paying the penalty that He owes. He was paying the penalty that we owe. He was dying for our sins. And beloved, None of that would have been possible without the virgin birth. So yes, she was a virgin. That's point number two. Now to point number three. It's a hard pill to swallow. You know, let's Let's face it. Really, the virgin birth is a hard pill to swallow. It goes against everything we know scientifically, right? I mean, we, we, we all learned in basic biology that being a human being, to create a new human being requires a mother and a father. You know, 46 chromosomes, 23 of those coming from the dad, 23 of those coming from the mother. It's a scientific fact that that's how new human beings are made. And while, while... People living 2,000 years ago may not have known all about chromosomes and how many chromosomes were in total and how many the mother produced and how many the father. They might have not, not have known all of that scientific stuff. They still understood that it took a mom and a dad to have a baby. That wasn't new 2,000 years ago. There simply is no other way. So when Joseph hears from his betrothed, when he hears from Mary that she's with child, he says, I wasn't there. I'm I'm not the dad. And I'm quite certain that young Mary, probably by the way, just a teenager and a younger teenager at that. I'm quite certain that Mary tries to explain to Joseph that she wasn't with another man. I can you know almost imagine the conversation. You know, Joseph goes to Mary and says, uh, so who's the father? Mary replies, Well, God's the father <laughs> to which Joseph says, You know, hey, listen, I'm not interested in your theology. I want to know who the daddy is, right? Um, Mary replies again, Yeah, I haven't had relations with any man. God sent his Holy Spirit. That's why I'm pregnant. Now put yourself just for a moment. Let's put yourself in Joseph's shoes. That, my friends, is a hard pill to swallow. And frankly, Joseph doesn't believe her, does he? He, does, he doesn't believe her. In that day, Joseph would have had an open and shut case to have Mary put to death for adultery. Open and shut. Now, remember, they're not married yet, but they are legally bound to one another. They are betrothed. And having sexual relations with anyone else during your betrothal period was the same thing as having sexual relations after the betrothal period, after you were married. It's It was adultery. And the penalty for adultery was death by stoning. So Joseph could have had Mary put to death. And listen to me, no one, not a soul, would have blamed him for doing so. Okay? Not even her parents would have blamed him for doing Now, of course, they would have been sad that their daughter is going to be stoned, but they wouldn't have disagreed that that was the proper punishment. But we're told in verse 19 that Joseph was a just man. That he was, quote, unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, death by stoning was a shameful way to die. A shameful way to die. Imagine that. Your entire imagine there you are in the middle, with your entire community gathered around you with stones in the hand. You had brought shame on the community, and now they are literally, quite literally, going to heap. Set shame on you. A shameful way to die. Joseph didn't want that for Mary. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. That's point number three. Now to point number four, our final point. Our baptismal candidates, you guys can go ahead and start getting ready. The family, you guys can hang on just a moment and you can head out or friends, just a moment. You can head out with them. But point number four God grants us faith. God grants us faith. You know in my years of being a Christian, in particular in my years of being in full time vocational ministry, you know, we sometimes talk as if, talk about faith as if it's something we muster up inside of ourselves. You just gotta have faith. Just have enough faith. It's as if it's something that we can set in our minds and say, you know, I just need to do this. Despite whatever evidence, I just need to do this. But listen to me. The truth of the matter is that God gives us faith. Okay, that's the truth of the matter. Faith is a gift from God. That's what Ephesians chapter two says, verses eight and nine. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. That faith is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. John chapter six, Jesus says this: No one can come to the Father unless, or excuse me, no one can come to me unless the Father, who sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. So we we don't come to the Father through anything that because of who I am and look at what I've got inside of me. It's a gift that God has given us. And so, even the faith that we have is ultimately God's gift. And here's what that means for us, beloved. It means that, we're, that we shouldn't even be boasting about our faith. Because it's not ours to boast about. God has granted us that faith. It's His gift to us. But what does that have to do with our passage today? Because we're here in Matthew. We're not in Ephesians. What does that have to do with Matthew? Matthew. You recall in verse 19, Joseph, he's he's sympathetic to Mary, as you would hope he would be. I mean, again, putting ourselves, we'd hope we would be sympathetic to our betrothed, but he still still wasn't about to believe her, right? He's like, yeah, I'm going to be sympathetic. I don't want to see her get stoned, but I don't believe for a moment that she got pregnant by God Himself. I mean, that's that's Joseph's mind, right? And and put yourself in his shoes. We we wouldn't have believed that either. Um, So, what changed his mind? How did Joseph go from a man with no faith to a man of faith? Well, God intervened, right? That's what happened. God, God intervened. That's how Joseph went from a lack of faith to an abundance of faith. God intervened. In verse 20, look with me there. We're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God sent a messenger from heaven to give Joseph faith. God intervened. And the messenger from heaven told Joseph what Mary had undoubtedly already told him. The messenger told Joseph that the baby was indeed from the Holy Spirit and that the baby inside Mary's womb would ultimately save God's people from their sins. That's not the first time he's hearing that. Mary would have undoubtedly have already told him that. But now, when Joseph wakes up in verse 24, what does he do? Now, remember, just a few verses early, he says, "You know, I got a great sympathy for her. I, I you know, I, I'm a just man. I don't want to see her put to shame. So I'm just, I'm just going to divorce her. I'm not going to, I'm not going to see her killed." But now, in verse 24, what does Joseph do? He takes Mary to be his wife. He doesn't divorce her as he had previously promised. Beloved, I want you to know that God is still in the business of giving faith. Sometimes he grants us faith through a supernatural encounter like the one Joseph experienced. But far more often, he grants us faith through everyday interactions with one another in this world. Think about that with me. Maybe it's a conversation we have with someone during the week. And we think, that was encouraging. That strengthened my faith. Maybe it was a conversation you had this morning as you got here over a cup of coffee. And you thought, yes, that, that helped me. Maybe it was in one of the songs we sang as we, as we sang, what a wonderful name. What a powerful name it is. And you thought, yes, that's what I needed right now. I needed that. Maybe it's something that I've said, by God's grace, has been an encouragement to your faith. Perhaps it might be in one of the... So you're going to hear the testimonies of the two men we're baptizing today. And as you listen to those testimonies, you might be, yes, I needed that. Or maybe it's still to come for you. Maybe it's a warm conversation over lunch this afternoon. And you ask somebody, what did you get from the service? What did you hear? And as you speak to one another, you're encouraged in your faith. Beloved, know this, God uses those times in our lives. He uses people in our lives to build our faith, to give us faith. For Joseph, it was supernatural. For us, more often than not, it's just through the normal, everyday rhythms of life. Matthew goes on to tell us that Joseph knew her not. That is, they they didn't consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son. Now, just a very, very brief aside. Uh, We live in an area that's really heavily populated with Roman Catholics, some of you I know even come from backgrounds, Roman Catholic backgrounds. Um, the Roman Catholic Church teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. And they've done so, by the way, for well over 1,500 years. So it's, this is not like a new thing. that they're, They've are ta- they taught it for a long time. Um, in other words, they, they teach that Mary was not only a virgin when she conceived and later gave birth to Jesus, which we would agree with. We'd say yes and amen. But they go one step further and they say that Mary lived her whole life, died as a virgin. Two problems with that, just very briefly, two problems. First, that view goes well beyond what our passage is teaching today, well beyond that. But second, it actually contradicts what other scriptures teach about Jesus having brothers and sisters. And so no, we, we disagree with Roman Catholics on the perpetual virginity of Mary if if, if that's if that's part of your background, you're like, well, I wonder what is what does that mean? I just wanted to address that. So that aside for now, that's not the main thrust of this passage. But after the baby's born, notice it says he Called his name Jesus. Joseph is the one naming the baby. He names him Jesus. And again, you might be wondering, well, I thought it, doesn't the scripture say his name will be Emmanuel? Well, yes. And that's who he is. So, in one sense, that is his name. That's who he is. He is, he is indeed. In fact, he is God with us. But the name given to him at his birth, that beautiful name, Jesus. That name means, the name Jesus, it's the New Testament version of the Old Testament, Joshua. And Jesus means Yahweh saves. And friends, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God the Father's provision for our salvation. Because it's through Jesus that God saves us. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the gift of faith. Lord, I pray that the preaching of the Word and the testimonies and the songs, perhaps conversations had before or even after the service, Lord, that, that You will strengthen our faith. Lord, if there's anyone here today, even one person who doesn't know Jesus personally in a saving way, if there's somebody here today Jesus is just a name of somebody. Lord, I pray that you would awaken faith in their life. Lord, that maybe they would reach out to a friend that they're with here, a family member they're with, they could reach out to me. Father, that they would uh, that today they would know Jesus is more than just a name, but they would know him as a savior. And so Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for the t- baptisms we're about to witness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.